Good morning and happy Friday from another rainy weekend morning in the meandering expanse of Philadelphia. If you've been following along with me the past week or two, you may know that there are a few things weighing on my mind recently. That includes the shaping together of a World Cup roster for the U.S. women's national team, the very related return to fitness of a certain cat, Macario, the also very related return to a field of a certain Juliertz. On the men's side, the struggles and success and complexities of U.S. nationals plying their trade in the world's top leagues stays top of mind for me. Relegation looms above multiple among them, Yunus Musa, Ricardo Pepe, and a certain trio of fellas in Yorkshire are all in that boat. And when it comes to that trio of fellas, I of course remain consumed by the situation, shall we call it, in Leeds. Elsewhere, though, on a more positive note, different fellas fight a different fight. And we may even soon see two American goalkeepers face off again in the English Championship this year, perhaps even at Wembley, as both Zach Steffen and Ethan Horvath seek promotion to the Premier League through the playoffs. But this past week, the Philly Union have taken priority of thought in my mind, even with all of that happening in the background, as the Union hosted LAFC in leg one of the CONCACAF Champions League semifinal. It was the first meeting since LA took the MLS Cup trophy from Philly's outstretched fingers last November, and the Union played exceptionally well. But they also conceded a late goal to Kellen Acosta, of all people, and came away only with the draw. To make sense of the Union's Champions League fight, we'll be checking in quickly with Jonathan Tannenwald, the lead soccer reporter of the Philadelphia Inquirer, who joins me today from the Penn Relays. JT, how are you this Friday? I'm good. In fact, I'm joining you from a former soccer stadium, too. Are you? Uh, this is this is where the Philadelphia Adams played for a time in the NASL. LA played here once, and the U.S. men's national team played an exhibition game in this stadium back in the day. It is the oldest stadium in continuous operation in the United States. It's the oldest two-decked stadium in the United States. The Penn Relays track meet that I'm at is the oldest and largest outdoor track and field meet in the United States. I've been coming here since I was in college 20 years ago, and it's one of my favorite events on the calendar every year at one of my favorite stadiums. I, I, I've been a while ago, and the atmosphere is is incredible. I think Philadelphia is a city that does collegiate sports exceptionally well. And it's wait, it's high school level sports, the Penn Relays. It's high schools, it's colleges, and there are sort of semi-pro and professional that are called Olympic developed races. They used to have a really big exhibition of the top U.S. and Jamaican sprinters. I've seen Usain Bolt run here, and when he did, Franklin Field seats 52,000 fans, and it was full, absolutely full of a brim, and it was unbelievable, and everybody who was ever here will never forget it. I've seen Justin Gatlin, Allison Felix, Marion Jones, wow. Safa Powell, all kinds of big names run at this track over there. Incredible. Well, and enjoy that, and I'll try not to take up too much of your time, given what you have in store today. So we'll start with one of the most important questions. Is that the best the Union have looked all season? I think they probably looked better against Toronto overall, in part because they were putting the ball in the middle more. They looked very good. I will say I think it's the best they've looked against LAFC. You mentioned this in your intro. They played with a maturity and a, a sense of composure 
that was really great. I think John McCarthy's in their head a little bit, unfortunately. But I, I think that they played really, really well. And I've stressed this repeatedly in my writing. They won one tie in the home leg of an aggregate series where away goals is the tiebreaker. Really is not a bad thing at all. It's almost better to tie 1-1 than to win 2-1. Here's why. If you win 2-1 and then you lose one nothing, you're out because LAFC had the away goal. Now, if you tie 1-1 and you lose one nothing, you're still out. I get it. But any win or any tie that's more than 1-1 and the union advance. A 2-2 tie or a 3-3 tie, which is what all these games out there have been for a while now, and the union advance. A 1-1 tie, it goes to penalties. A scoreless tie, LAFC wins. It ain't going to be scoreless. There's a lot of things that might happen in this game. I'd be astonished, as you hear the Chargers gun go off in the background, I'd be astonished if that game is a scoreless tie. Yeah, history between these two teams would point to multiple goals and honestly would point to some kind of draw, potentially even penalties. If we do get to penalties, as you said, John McCarthy is is haunting us a little bit. If my listeners are unaware, can you explain who this John McCarthy fella is? John McCarthy is a native of Northeast Philadelphia, a product of LaSalle High and North Catholic, sorry, LaSalle University and North Catholic High School. I cannot get that wrong. I would be fired from my job by all of the people who came out of the Philadelphia Catholic League, which if my memory is right, is an area of some expertise for you as well. Um, he began his professional career with the Philadelphia Union as one of Andre Blake's backups. In 2015, Jim Curtin made the very daring move of subbing Andre Blake out for the penalty shootout of a U.S. Open Cup final and subbing John McCarthy in. He went on to make a save in the shootout against Kansas City. A couple of Union guys missed, but the sub worked. It wasn't his fault that the Union guys missed, and he went on to be a bit itinerant. He played in the lower leagues. He played for Inter-Miami. He's now at LAFC. And a guy who has long been a penalty kick specialist, specialist was, again, last year in the MLS Cup final when he denied the union. And having come on as an injury substitute with 10 minutes to go in extra time, had that injury not happened, the union would have won the MLS Cup final. And Jim Curtin very, very famously said, when McCarthy came in, he said, oh, and then he said a word that I'm not going to use on your podcast because it's a family family podcast. You can use the word, but was it? Tell us. I don't actually know which specific word he used, but I he has said more than once that there was an expletive involved. I appreciate you you laying that out because I think that perhaps for the unknowing or people who watched that MLS Cup final, which wasn't, as Ali Bedoya called it, it was an instant classic, you know what? People not associated with either team were talking about what an incredible game it was. But I think maybe for a lot of people, that element of the storyline was lost. The poetic pain of it being John McCarthy, of all people, who was in the net stopping those penalties when that game reached that point. So, Jonathan, going back to um, this game from, from on Wednesday, when the whistle blew, the disappointment on the field, I thought, was pervasive and evident among multiple union guys. I mean, I don't think I've seen Andre Blake look that frustrated or I've only seen him look that frustrated a handful of times in recent years. Olivier and Baizo dropped to his knees. Jack McGlynn told us after the game that he was pissed off about how it ended. Given that visible disappointment, which I think was also evident among the fans, you laid it out a little bit, but why are you feeling so positive? Can you explain why you have some confidence, maybe even from that game? I got an email from a longtime reader who's very deep into European soccer, watches the Champions League every year religiously, 
and hadn't done the aggregate goals math in his head. I was like, you you know how this works. They've gone, they they in the last round, they went down to Atlas and they got a two-two tie and they advanced. If they get a two-two tie in this game, they will advance. I'm fine that I'm fine that Steve Cherundolo is very happy that his team got an away goal. That's great. If his team had won one nothing, I really don't know how much different the situation would be right now. Because yes, if his team wins three-two, he's out, sure. If it was one nothing. But it's it's really not a bad situation. If the union play as composed out there as they did in this game, ideally with Michael Orr finishing a breakaway goal instead of not, they're going to give themselves every chance. What happens after that against a team with more individual talent? I don't know. But then again, I thought LAFC is going to give them the form that they were been in. We're going to win the first game by multiple goals, and they did. So. Jim Curtin, I think, shares your take on this. He came into the press room looking, I want to say even pleased, and, and definitely more pleased than I personally had expected. So he acknowledged, of course, the disappointment of the late concession, but I think he agrees with you, and he thinks this team can take the game to L.A. next Tuesday. He, Given the fact that he's talked about confidence so much throughout this season, which has seen a slow start, do you in any way, and because he said that confidence can't come out of nowhere, do you think for the team and for Jim that confidence came to some extent on Wednesday night or just against L.A. in general? Does that is this just where this team is going to come out? It might be, but I sort of disagree with him. Okay. I'm not sure he was in a great mood. And he said, that, you know, it's against his nature to push his team to go for a 3-3 game or whatever. You know, he's a, he's a center back. He's a defensive-minded coach. He wants to win games one nothing. He knows he can't but he can win the game one nothing, but he knows it's not going to happen. I think I had to prod him a little bit. I'm not sure he would have. I mean, I asked him one of the first questions, and it was about the fact that if he goes out and gets a 2-2 draw out there, he wins the series. I'm not sure he was going to go in that direction, Paul. Mm. I do think that the the late concession changes the game. How did it happen? I mean, have you rewatched that goal as many times as I have? How did, What are you attributing that goal to? What happened there? Soccer gods hate Jack Elliott. I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know what he did to offend them. Other than but not going back to England after college, I don't know. There's something about him in LAFC. I don't know what it is. So the soccer gods are English and smiting Jack Elliott for his... Well, they've been smiting America for God knows how long now. And we, just keep, <laughs> we just keep having to stay undefeated against them in World Cups and the soccer gods can't stand it. Um, it, it it's, I don't know. As I said, would a one nothing win have looked nice on paper? Would it have been a win over LAFC? Yeah. Do I think it ultimately matters all that much? No, I don't. If the union win the game, they advance. If they tie 2-2, they advance. If they tie 3-3, they advance. If they tie 1-1, it goes to penalties. The only ways they're out is if they lose, in which case they lose, or it's a scoreless tie. You know, if they lose 3-2, would have been nice to win one one nothing at home? Yes, it would be. But if that's the margin, then they know they're only going to have themselves to blame or not scoring more goals. When I spoke to you before the game, you were feeling a bit more trepidation, shall we say, about our friends in Los Angeles and the form that they're in. I mean, they're undefeated in MLS regular league play. They're the only team that no one has yet defeated. I believe Dennis Buanga sitting on seven league goals. They did look this up after um, talking to you about him. He's not leading the Golden Boot race. He's just behind our pace and power guy, Jordan Morris, in the Golden Boot race. Was a particular point of concern for you heading into the match. 
but he was nearly absent from the match as was Carlos Vela did they have an off night or did did we completely shut them down talk to me about how how we were able to to do that uh Luanga officially has 12 goals and five assists in 13 games for LAFC across all competitions that's outrageous yeah I don't actually think the union shut him down. He had the one breakaway where Andre Blake stopped him twice. The union played him pretty well, but not perfectly. Vela, they shut down. And even knocked around a little bit. And he hemmed and hawed and was not happy. And uh, Cesar Ramos, the Mexican referee, has no interest in MLS storylines and said, told him to get up. That's what happened. Again, a reminder, if you're just tuning in, the gunshots in the background are the starter's gun. <laughs> and a track meet that I have they are not actual gunshots of consequence. Um, now, I, look, I thought, as I said, I think that this was the most mature, most composed performance by the union against LAFC that I have seen them deliver. And I think, I, I think that speaks very highly. When you think about, you know, shutting down Carlos Vela or the back line in particular, does anyone stick out to you as really stepping up against LAFC? I'll pick two people. I'll start with Olivier Mbizo, who's a player who I've always really liked, but he has always been more of an more of an offense player than a defense player. His defense in this game was outstanding. Might have, it was one of his best games in a Union jersey. It showed why I thought after last year he was going to get sold to a team in France. I figured he'd go to the World Cup and play for any amount of time and then get sold for 2 or $3 million. He went to the World Cup, but he did not play. In the, I will sidetrack here for a second. In the most Philadelphia of fashion, so Olivier Mbizo did not play at the World Cup. Collins Fye, in, in Cameroon's last group stage game, got his second yellow card of the group stage. I think and he was therefore to be suspended for the round of 16 game. And if Cameroon had tied its last group stage game, Cameroon would have advanced and Olivier Mbizo would have played the World Cup. It's a shame. But they lost, I think, by like one goal. I forget exactly what the score was, but it was by that small a mark. Mbizo was great in this game, and hopefully he can, you know, Nathan Harriel, I think, has hit a little bit of a wall as he did last year. It's early enough in the season that hopefully he'll break through it and keep improving. But Mbizo was great, and I thought that Jose Arjas Martinez was outstanding until he pulled up with whatever cramp or hamstring injury, whatever it was, and forced him out. And I wrote this, that people like to focus on the big tackles and the bicycle kick clearances, and he's, he's got a pretty brash personality, barks at the referees all the time. He got booked for dissent. And how there was his first yellow card of the tournament, I have no idea whatsoever. But what he does best and what he does so crucially for the unit is his ability to receive a pass from the center backs, turn, pass, move the play forward. He did this multiple times on Wednesday night. He gets the ball, he turns, he faints, he shimmies past the guy in traffic, in the middle where everything's clogged up, gets the ball out to McGuinn, to Bedoya, to Ura, Carranza, Gazdag, whoever. Some, some of the stuff he did was really wonderful. And I thought that that deserves fun. Yeah, those two in particular, I thought were excellent this week, uh, like near the best we've ever seen them play. I agree with you completely. And not just 
as you said, not just defensively, I think on both sides of the ball, they were both uh, excellent. If you, Jonathan, and you mentioned this in, in your day after um, article in the Inquirer, but if you didn't watch the game and you only looked at the stats, the stat line is almost comically even. Possession is dead even at 50-50. Both teams took exactly nine shots. Accurate pass percentage is off by one percentage point between them. Union, 73% accurate. LA, 74% accurate. Both teams committed 11 fouls. Both teams took one yellow card. Did the game feel as evenly played as those stats would tell you? I think so. I think the Union were the better team for most of the game. I say that on social media teams, the fans of the other teams, especially Cincinnati, just come hammer a thumbs up and can't, can't comprehend how wrong that possibly <laughs> I, I think that, um, no, I think the Union, I think it was an even game. I think it showed that these teams, even though the Union have not had an ideal start to the season, as happens with so many teams that play in the Hockey Cup Champions League, they struggle early in the regular season. But I think it was a reminder that these are two of the elite teams in Major League Soccer. Uh, and I think that the possession statistics is remarkable. The Union don't normally have 50% of the possession in the game, especially against a team like LAFC that has so much attacking player to win. But they had it, and they kept it, and they played with it some, and they showed that they they often choose not to do it, but they can. And when they choose not to do it for a month straight or whatever it is, then some other GM, or we don't know, as you and I have discussed before, goes around and says the union don't know how to play soccer, and they're ugly and terrible, and should be banned so that Atlanta and New York City are the only soccer. <laughs> I don't know who said it. I still don't know who said it. We're thinking New York or Atlanta. Would- I don't know. I don't actually think that. I just know how many people would like the union to really just get out of the way. Yeah, it's more than it's one person said it more than one person thinks it. But as you said, they had and and at points of the game, I agree with you. I think that, yes, it was a fairly even game, but for large parts of it and definitely for the beginning phases, the union had the front foot. I felt they had the better chances. I wonder a few things. One thing I wonder is, did they get tired? And you've been critical in the past of substitutions and whether Jim makes them soon enough or makes enough of them. Did that play a factor in in the latter stages of this game? Probably. You know, by the time by the time Jim Curtin made two substitutions, LASC was onto its fourth. That is Jim Curtin's biggest Achilles heel is that he rides guys for too long. They built up all this depth in the off season. And Andres Perea is supposed to play a crucial role. You and know, proven that he can be, as well. Like yeah, when he, he, He's supposed to be the defensive depth guy. Is he not getting it done in practice? I don't know. Is Joaquin Torres not getting it done in practice? I don't know. That's usually the explanation. Quinn Sullivan has quickly taken Joaquin Torres for this. Perea not playing, you know, do you just eat the last five minutes and send them in for Jack McGlynn? Maybe you have to. It's tough for me to say it was fatigue, but I mean, the chance that LAFC scored on wasn't even the best one. The best one was, I think it was Sequentes. Had a wide open shot on the top of the 18-yard box. He put it straight at Andre Blake. Yeah. That's the sort of thing that worries me more than the goal was. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. You Going back to the possession point and the union being a team capable of doing things with possession, Jack McGlynn is very good on the ball, as we all know. And via Champions League <clears throat> performances, it seems that he's really taken the starting position with the union. And I thought he also had an excellent game overall, an excellent game against LA. How good is Jack McGlynn right now? As good as we all thought it would be quite simple. 
It helps that Leon Clark is injured. And that, by the way, was a decision. Jim Craig made. Don't forget that. But the substitutions were a little late. I think Jack McGuinn is playing really well. He's playing, actually, no, Flock was for Martinez. I think Flock was Martinez. He did come in, but I think McGuinn was still. He played the full, the full yeah. game. Uh, look, he's a great player. His defensive acumen is improving. His defensive acumen, his, his defense is never going to be as good as his offense. It's not that kind of stuff. But he's playing so well. Flock being hurt gave him a little extra playing time. And, you know, I wrote this at the start of the year. This is the guy to watch. Well, what happens when he doesn't play? Now he's playing. Everybody is seeing how good he is. And hopefully in town, people are enjoying him, even though, of course, he's not on traditional television most of the time. So what does it matter? Because they're not on any <laughs> sports Philadelphia, right? You want to take that one? No. No, I don't. As a club, Jonathan, Philadelphia leads the league in offside calls by a reasonable margin to 29 so far this season offside calls individually Carranza, Ura, Gazdag, and Bodoya all fall toward the top of offside culprits in the league now I bring this up because when you look at the stat line one of the few stats where there is a big difference is on offside calls we were offside six times against LA they were offside once I do think that stymied a few promising counterattacks, but is this a meaningful statistic to you that we're offside all the time? In, in a way, it is meaningful to me that the union are offside that much. It says to me they play counterpressing high, you know, high line system, and so yeah. the teams are going to bait them with a high defensive. That's going to happen. You know, do the union have to adjust a little bit? Sure, but the way Mike Lord plays, Gastek gets the ball and Uyra goes tearing off to take a through ball. Vizo gets the ball and Bedoya goes up the right wing to move the attack up the right wing. That's going to happen. To me, I think that's just the nature of the way they play. Yeah, it just it tells you a lot about the style as much as anything else. Steve Tarundolo is probably the name uh, trotted out as often as Jim Curtin's when we talk about American coaches who are performing well, who are performing well in MLS at, you know, potentially in the race to be involved with the national team. What do you think of Tarundolo as a coach in contrast to Jim? Are they similar coaches? Are they foils as their teams tend to be sometimes? Uh, I think Steve Schoenor is a very good man. Do I think he's a foil to Jim Curtin? No. He's too humble for that. He's too polite for that. He doesn't carry himself in the way a cocksure never having anything to worry about in his life, Los Angeles person out of a stereotype book would do. He's not that way. To me, there's really only one way in which Carindolo is a foil, and that's that he played for the national team however many dozens of times and can hurt But I think Steve Carindolo is a very good Brian emphasized a few times this past week, before and after this game, that this is now the top four clubs on the continent from the past calendar year. Why do you think he keeps driving home that message? Who's he, who's he wants to get that message across to? Wow. Uh, <laughs> Apple, I, I get the, the MLS executives who pick which games are free. And I don't know. His own city, maybe, that still doesn't really care. I don't, I don't know. Look, I, I think that, I think that, if I alluded to a moment ago, there are a lot of, there are, there are people who don't really want the union to be as big a deal as they are because there's nothing they can really sell it. No Lorenzo and Sydney. There's no Tiago Almada. 
There's not 45,000 people in the stands. They don't play in New York. And they don't play in Boston. But then again, nobody plays in Boston. There's just a lot of people who no one wants the revolution to I, I don't know. But, like, do you want them to keep all the young Americans? Do you want them to sign Roberto Firmino? What is it? I think if, if Roberto Firmino was not going to stay in Europe and get paid $15 million a year, if he, if he was legitimately going to come to MLS, I have to think the union would give it a shot. Because Ernst Tanner is the guy who found it. He knows it. You know, are there teams in MLS that would probably offer more money? Yeah. But, uh, you know, what what is it? I, I don't know. On the note of keeping the young national team players, we've got quite a few. The union get a lot of credit and attention because of academy products, past and present, um, contributing to the union. How does not just Champions League, but now the U.S. Open Cup, we're in it now as of this next coming round. How, how does the congested schedule and the potentiality that we could be playing in the final, if we beat LA, that we could be playing in the final, how does that impact the ability for McGlynn, Brendan Craig, uh, Quinn Sullivan? How does it impact their ability to play for the U20 World Cup team? I think Craig's going no matter what. That's, that's for Sullivan, I think, would probably go... Jack McGlynn, they're going to have to make a really big decision. I think their inclination is to send. I understand why. I don't think, I certainly don't think they would beat Seagulls. Maybe they'd stand a chance against Leon, but Leon might be about If Leon knocks out Tigres on merit, Leon's got plenty of talent, too. There's no question about that. I think they've got players in Perea and Torres to live. I don't think they're going to win the final. Seagrace is the best team in North America. The gym is correct that the best, you know, the final four are four of the truly elite teams on the continent. But Seagrace, even though they're not necessarily playing as well as they could do, Seagrace is number one. There's not much question. When does the team arrive in Los Angeles for leg two of this? I don't know. I'm not going. I was never really planning to go. I... Games Tuesday, they'll probably fly on Sunday, I would guess. When people talk about the complexities of MLS and winning games like this, they often point to the vast geographic size of the country. The Union are heading to LA, of course, for this game before coming back to the East Coast, um, playing the Red Bulls in New Jersey next week, then going right to Minnesota for US Open Cup, then to Colorado, back to MLS play. Are you aware of any insider, you know, adaptation practices that they'll be using to keep these guys fresh and acclimated to time zone, climate, elevation? I've got one. It's my charter. Because that's yeah. what they're supposed to do. And that's what MLS teams do. It took them long enough. But it's what they're going to do. And, uh, you know, beyond that, rest, you know, take a good look at the schedule in advance. Know what's know what it's all going to be. They've got this weekend off, which helps. They knew this was going to happen. They knew this. They knew all along that May was going to be extremely busy month, fixture-wise. And they've got to use all their players. That's what it's going to come down to. Brendan Craig finally poking his head into the lineup somewhere? I don't, I don't, well, I don't think Craig will, at least not as a starter, maybe as a substitute, if they have one of, they have either a regular season game 
or the Open Cup game wrapped up. I think they want to win the Open Cup. And I don't blame them because that is their best shot of the trophy this year. And if they come out of the year with something like that, it would be a big, a big help. And so I think Brandon Craig will probably play in the League's Cup. But I think we'll see him in the Open Cup, as I said, maybe as a substitute. Because Minnesota's just – they were playing a lower division team at home. All due respect, different score. This, this is a little different. Yeah, it's a tough – it's a tough pull. I mean, I don't know that Minnesota's having the best – season and it's definitely a winnable game for the union but they, they could have had an easier draw of it a few final questions for you jt and then we will leave you to the pen relays and this is the last question about la so beyond the sheer distance and the travel fatigue lafc seems like a tough team to play in their home given the atmosphere and the supporter section behind them i've never been there in person I've simply marveled at them via the television, but you were there in person for the MLS Cup final. Can you describe the atmosphere in that stadium? What's unique about it? Is it among the more intimidating atmospheres you think available in Major League Soccer? Did you say no? How much, how much, I don't know how much more intimidating one is from the other okay. than the next. But it's a wonderful atmosphere. And it's not just the big supporters. It's the whole stadium. It's there's not a lot of places in MLS where that happens. And I think that's really to the credit of the culture that they built out there, the fact that they're in the city, the fact that they do everything in English and Spanish, sometimes even more than that. Not a lot of MLS teams work that way. The union certainly don't work that way. The DC United that I grew up with and that you used to go to used to work that way. They don't anymore. I wish every team did, but they don't. Yeah. My parting, for another podcast. I, we will schedule that in. It's an interesting subject. My parting question for you before you head into your weekend, what games are you looking forward to outside of the pen relays and before this big game on Tuesday happens? What are you going to be watching this weekend? Well, it's funny you should ask that because I write this streaming guide every weekend. <laughs> the games, uh, So the games around MLS. I haven't tweeted it out yet, so I'll tweet that out as soon as I get off the line. Nashville, Atlanta on Saturday, I think, would be quite fun. It's Diago Almada versus And uh, Nashville is always a great scene. I'm sure it will be existing, too. It's one of the national TV games this weekend. Uh, New England, Cincinnati is a big game, although I struggle to watch games played in New England. Uh, St. Louis, Portland could be fun. Uh, RSL, RSL Seattle is always a spicy game because those teams don't like each other. Uh, I look at the NWSL. I see uh, Portland Angel City. That's a big one. And San Diego versus Orlando, which is Alex Morgan versus Marta, even though the Pride are, yet again, not very good. Uh, San Diego should win that game fairly promptly. Yeah, a lot of fun games happening so far in the NWSL season. Angel City feels like they deserve a win and haven't pulled it out and in multiple games now, so they feel due. But Portland are undefeated, so that's going to be a tough one. I disagree with you on Angel City for a quick second. Yes. You um, have two minutes before our time runs out. Yes. Take all of them. <laughs> I don't I don't think Angel City is all that well constructed uh, Okay. on the whole. Still yet, they're better, but they've still got a ways to go. And uh, 
We do a lot of crypto ads. You probably noticed that. Not my favorite thing to work. How about anything uh, Anything abroad? Are you going to be glued to your television on Sunday morning watching Leeds? No, I won't be watching Leeds because I, when, they, when I watch, they usually lose. Um, uh, so it's you. Yeah, right, right. I will be at the track all day on Saturday, but there is Barcelona Real Batiste, which is a lot of fun, and Roma Milan on Sunday as I very frantically scan through the listings. Oh, here's a really good one in Spain. I watch, I watch a lot of Spanish soccer these days because I think the quality is really high and the, the atmosphere is fun. The presentation of the games is great. Real Valladolid versus Atletico Madrid. Mm. Valladolid's probably going down, but they have uh, Kyle Aaron of Canada. Who scored yesterday on Yunus Musa's and, Valencia. And um, Atletico Madrid is not just the old defense, everything all the time, and that's it, Atletico Madrid anymore. Mm. And uh, I'm sure you'll be watching Villarreal Salto Vigo for Luca De La Torre on Sunday morning. There's a lot to fit in on Sunday morning. We've also got, I do watch Leeds. I'm a masochist like that. And the old firm is happening on Sunday last one. I think it's the cup final, the Scottish cup final. So I'm going to be watching that one. I think it's on slightly before the Leeds game, but Cameron Carter Vickers with Celtic and then Malik Tillman for Rangers are both nominated for player of the year with their respective teams. And I'm looking forward to, to that matchup last matchup. JT. If someone who listens to my podcast doesn't already follow your work, where can they find you? Gone at the goalkeeper. I see the cane is coming to hook me away. So I will step aside before it does. It's always great. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Have a good weekend.